Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Dore. I appreciate you taking some time to join me this morning to discuss what's going on in the market. I'll remind you that what we're about to do today should not be considered individual investment advice, but instead more my view and the Insight Wealth Group firm view of what's happening in the world today and why it matters. If you have questions about your individual portfolio, I'd encourage you to give us a call here at the office. With that, let's take a dive into what happened last week and what it might mean for the future, because last week was interesting. It marked the first negative week in the S&P 500 this year. The market was off 0.27%. Now, not the worst week we've seen in the last few years. I actually went back and looked when I was putting this together. The worst week we saw was in late February of 2020. The market was off 8.5% in one week as we led into COVID. That sucked. What happened this last week wasn't that bad, but it was an excellent reminder that while we're optimistic about 2023, the first half of this year has the potential to be volatile. We are not chartists at Insight Wealth Group. We are not technical analysts. There are some in our industry that prescribe significance to what the quote chart is telling us. We are believers that fundamentals drive charts, not the other way around. But there are a lot of people in the market who do buy into that predictive value of the charts. And I think there is some important perspective that they can add to what's going on today. Now, a good example of this, the S&P 500 is bumping up against the 200-day moving average right now. What is the 200-day moving average? The 200-day moving average is simply what has been the average price of the market over the last 200 days. But why is it notable that it's bumping up against that average? It's notable because every rally we've seen since the market took a negative turn back in early 2022, every rally we've seen since then has been unable to break through that 200-day moving average. We saw it back in August. The market bumped up against it and then went for a pretty negative run through the end of September. Then we saw it again in early December. The market bumped back up against that 200-day moving average and then went for a negative run again. And now here we are again today with the market trying to clear that hurdle. Now, what's important to this, and I I have a chart with the 200-day moving average and the S&P in the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Memo, which you can see linked in the show notes. But one of the things we note after every chart, because we're required to, is a disclaimer that says, quote, past performance is not indicative of future results. That could not be more true when it comes to the 200-day moving average chart because theoretically, if in the future the market was never able to break through the 200-day moving average, the market and the 200-day moving average would move infinitely down to zero. That's not going to happen. The market is, however, going to need something to cause it to break through that trend and drive it through the 200-day moving average. That means that the long-term positive performance of the market this year is going to be about creating that informational momentum, that thing that's going to drive it past that mark. And the battle for that momentum is a set of intersecting dialogues that I think were perfectly on display this last week. So we're going to take a look through that and what's moving markets now and what it means for the longer term picture in 2023 and beyond. You have the good and the bad. Let's start with the bad. The bad this week was earnings. It was a bad week for earnings, full stop. 
fear of a earnings recession was really brought into full focus this year as we were able to digest the earnings of some of the largest financial institutions in the world. And it was not a good look. It wasn't pretty. So far, nearly every trend that we watch for earnings this quarter has looked negative. We see that typically 77% of companies beat their earnings expectations over the five-year average. So far this quarter, it's 67%. We see that the size of earnings surprises to the upside, which are historically 8.6% to the upside, this quarter are only 3.3%. We see that the percent of companies beating their revenue is below average, 64% now versus 69% on average. And we see that the size of the revenue surprises to the upside are much smaller than average. On average, they're 19.9%. So far for Q4, they're 0.3%. Now, all of this was made significantly worse this week due to the earnings from the financial giants. We saw companies like Goldman Sachs and Allstate. They just missed the mark this week badly. Goldman missed the earnings by 59%. Allstate missed an estimate that was supposed to be $1.90 a share in earnings growth. They actually announced a $0.65 loss this quarter, so they missed it by a long shot. But all told, this week, the expectations for Q4 earnings went from an expectation of a 4% loss after last week, it's a 4.6% loss expected. So typically, we are seeing that number get better and better and better as the quarter goes on. This week, it got worse. But it's also important to note that we only have 11% of the companies in the S&P 500 that have reported earnings so far. And most of those companies, most of the big ones, are financial firms. The big financial names are behind us, but we have to remember that a rising interest rate environment is not always good news for companies that make their money by lending money. They're lending less of it today with interest rates rising. So it's important to remember that we might have seen some of the worst of it this last week. This upcoming week, we're going to see 19% of the market report. So, so far we've seen 11 We're going to see 19% of the market report this week, so we're going to have a much better feel for where earnings are going for Q4. But if earnings was the bad news this last week, what was the good side? Talked about that intersecting dialogue, that battle, that tug of war between two different dialogues. The good side is the economic data and what the Fed is saying and likely to do. So what did we see this week? Because yet again, as we've seen for the last few weeks and months, The data we saw that would lead us to our understanding of what's happening with inflation and interest rates, that data looked pretty darn good. For example, new housing starts dropped last month, as did existing home sales. Now, if we were concerned about a roaring economy and really trying to jack it up, we would want to see new home sales and existing home sales jump. But when we're sitting here talking about clearing the inflation hurdle, when we're talking about shelter prices, as we spent a lot of time talking about in the memo last week, seeing home sales prices for existing and new homes drop is a good thing. What's important to note is that existing home sales have dropped every single month since last March. What also happened last March? Last March was when the Fed started raising interest rates. That's interesting because I've talked on this podcast about the so-called six to nine month lag from when Fed policy goes into effect to when it actually hits the economy. I think there is some truth to that, but in the housing market, it was nearly immediate. That is yet another argument, as far as I'm concerned, for why the CPI calculation completely misses on the shelter component, and one would argue inflation might be a little bit better 
than what CPI is showing us. But speaking of CPI, its cousin, PPI, the producer's price index, was released on Wednesday. You may recall me saying that in the past, that PPI number was the gold standard for the Federal Reserve when they were considering inflation. That seems to have changed a bit for the Powell-led Fed as CPI has become more and more important, but PPI still matters. And it didn't just slow last month. It actually dropped a lot. Month over month, PPI dropped 0.5% in December, bringing the year-over-year PPI number down from 7.3% to 6.2%. Not only were those numbers great, they were much better than the anticipated drops. We had anticipated a drop of 0.1% month over month and that the year-over-year number would go to 6.8. Core PPI also beat expectations coming in at 0.1% month over month and 5.5% year-over-year down from an expected 5.7. All of that is really good news as it applies to what the market expects from the Fed on interest rates in the coming weeks and months. Now, you've seen me quote many, many times the FedWatch tool from CME Group, and that is kind of the predictive, what the market is predicting the Fed is going to do on interest rates. Right now, the FedWatch tool is showing a 99.3% chance of a 25 basis point hike at the next Fed meeting. There's no such thing as certainty. Clearly, this chart wants to leave just a little bit of wiggle room for maybe being wrong, but that was only 0.7%. So I think we're getting pretty close to knowing what the Fed's going to do next month. But more important, though, is the FedWatch tool chart for the June meeting. Now, why is that important? Because that is the chart which has the highest probability of rates increasing more than 0.5% from where they are today. That chart has total odds of 37.5% that the total rate hike is 0.75% or higher. What that means is we now have a majority opinion, 62.5%, that rates will peak at 4.75% or a half a percentage point from where we are today, meaning the market is assuming only two more 0.25% rate hikes from here. We're getting close, guys. So you can see that push and pull of what's happening in the market today. Earnings are faltering a bit. Economy and the inflation are improving. This week was a tug of war, which really neither side won. You can make an argument earnings won. They won by just a little bit. But it was a pretty flat week in the market. It's going to take a clear victory for the economy inflation side of the markets to finally break through that 200-day moving average and allow the market to go on a run. So what is going to do that? It's very simple. It's the same thing we've been talking about for 10 months now. It's the Fed. The market is making some pretty bold proclamations in that FedWatch tool about what the Fed is going to do. But why haven't we broken through that 200-day moving average? Because market makers just don't have a ton of confidence in what path Chairman Powell is going to take. When are we really going to get that clear signal from the Fed? And it's going to take that clear signal to move us forward about when are we going to see a peak in interest rates. Once we see that, that'll allow the market to go for a run. But when are we going to get that sign? Is it going to be at the next meeting on February 1st? It's going to be in March and May and June. No one knows for sure. And until we do, that tug of war is going to continue. So we'll leave it there for now. If you have any questions, give us a call here at the office, 515-273-1333. Or you can always visit us on the web at www.insightwealthgroup.com. I hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to touching base with you again soon. Take care. 
Securities offered through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through RTA Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.